0: Hi friends, this is Jonathan Frizz, founder of 10 Days. Earlier this year, I did a series of interviews with my good friend, Greg Healy, attempting to do an in-depth telling of the 10 Days story. 10 Days is a movement that began in 2004. Since then, God has enabled it to expand into a global prayer and unity movement. Trust me, it's taken a lot longer than I initially thought, but after 17 years, it's incredible to see the original vision unfolding before our eyes. Over the years, I've cast vision for 10 days hundreds of times, probably thousands. I've become adept in sharing about 10 days in 30 seconds, five minutes or 30 minutes, however long they're willing to give me. If it's a really, really good day, I might get an hour to share, which means I can usually get into some pretty cool testimonies. It's been on my heart for some time to do a longer, more leisurely telling where we could really dive deep into the history, the God encounters, the miracles, the mistakes, and the mysteries of this incredible journey. This is the prophetic history of the movement, how we've grown from small beginnings to where we are today. It's also a personal history, a history of faith, fear, tragedy, disappointment, love, and learning how to follow Jesus. In my case, that's often meant learning the hard way. I think this will be an encouragement and an inspiration to you both because of the amazing things that have happened and continue to happen, but also because of the failures and mistakes we've faced along the journey. Hopefully you can avoid some of these pitfalls. Or else, when you encounter whatever you need to encounter and go through what you need to go through, you'll at least know a few things not to do. Following Jesus is the most beautiful thing I can even imagine, but it's also the most painful and it costs us everything. However, at the end of the day, what else are we going to do with our short lives? Why not decide to give everything to the only one found worthy in heaven and on earth, the one who gave everything to make us his own? I hope you enjoy this series. And remember, please subscribe to our podcast as well. These are podcast exclusives, and we hope that you will be encouraged and enjoy them. God bless. Hey, everybody. Jonathan Frizz here with Greg Healy, and um, we've been taking a mostly chronological approach to talking about the history of 10 days. We're going to take a little break from that today, and Greg, we are going to talk about challenges faced while doing 10 days. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's a, a bit scary for you. Let's let's talk about, now, you and I have been working together, like we talked about in our last podcast, uh, really pretty closely since 2013. And we've had a number of different kinds of challenges. So what I'm going to suggest is we swap stories. My goodness. Why don't you start? Mine are not very encouraging. It's okay. <laughs> because what... Well, one, one part is, but one part's not. Wh- what's going to happen when we tell these stories is even if it doesn't have an obvious redemptive element, if it's just like, wow, that was just discouraging. You just like to put me through some pain is my, my hope is that as people are, um, you know, working on similar things themselves, it's going to be encouraging when they're in a difficult situation, they're going to realize, yeah, we're going to face this. Yeah. We're going to face things. So we like to tell the glory stories. But oftentimes, mm-hmm. the more encouraging part can be some of the difficulties and challenges. Yeah. So, all right, over to you. Give me a all challenging right. situation. So,
1: well, before I go into my challenges, I'm going to put it right back to you, my friend. What, other than what we've already recorded, put on wax, what were your challenges? What is a situation that you remember that went sideways, but God redeemed it somehow? <laughs>
0: Well, um, let's start off with a big one and we can both talk about this. The whopper. You, you may realize, and this is what I, when God was first calling me into this kind of ministry, um, one of my objections to him was how am I going to make any money doing this? Oh, right. silence right so i had thought i'd be bivocational he said no i want you to be full time and i had said i don't know if that's a ministry model i agree with but it didn't it it didn't matter but then i was like well how how are we gonna pay for basic things
1: isn't 10 days of prayer like wheel of fortune it's like a money platform
0: you know it's actually not a great way to make money believe it or not it's not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you give
1: your heart and soul drain yourself and there's no money. Out.
0: So let's, yeah. So th- f- I'd say finance finances have been a problem. Uh, also just structurally, if you're part of a church or an established ministry, usually there's kind of ways that money comes into that ministry, maybe via offerings or, you know, every Sunday, et cetera. Pastors might have a salary, things like that. When you're kind of serving in between,
1: Remember, you're a
0: unicorn. <laughs> Different networks. <laughs> There's not really uh, financing for that. So people might be happy to be involved, be a part, but they're not necessarily looking to um, you know, support you, or they might not even know that you're in trouble financially. So finances have been a, a problem. I'll share a couple of stories. And by problem, I mean just a, it's been a challenge.
1: You know, a unicorn in the car land, is something that is very valuable later, but at the time it's produced is not that valuable, or people don't look at it as valuable. So maybe that's like you. <laughs> you go through some difficult things, maybe don't have a lot of money, but in the end, maybe you're very valuable. We'll we'll see we'll see. And uh, the, and I speak of these unicorns of ten days of prayers coordinators.
0: Right right right. Yeah. So if you're in this kind of a role and you're organizing 10 days, chances are it's, it's going to cost you something even in the pocketbook. Um, it was almost laughable for me when I was, especially in, in the first part of my ministry, because it seemed like anytime we did something big, either as it was ending or right before it started, I would be completely broke. Just have no money.
1: (laughs) So you're laughing, of course, but I know the history of this. I mean, look, the prayer movement or any prayer movement like 10 days, like why is there so little financial support for that? Do you know?
0: I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know.
1: I think it's because of what you're saying earlier, which is it has to do with you don't have an established – thing that everyone can point to and say oh you work at that church that church has a physical building and there are people who attend it physically and they uh part of their responsibility is to help fund that monetarily they can touch it they can see it they can sit in a pew so you can't do that in the prayer unity movement right right
0: Right, I think part of the unity side is being in between, working in between versus in something. You're a ligament, right? And um, and so you're not getting. It's a little harder to describe, and also maybe funding isn't flowing there. And in terms of prayer too, it's it's intangible. Um, You know, people might pay more for. You know, for instance, you know, if if someone does a funeral for you or a wedding or if you're housing
1: homeless people. That's tangible, understandable. Right, I will right. give to that.
0: If it's if it's people praying, it seems a little bit more intangible. So I think financial difficulty is one thing, one kind of challenge I've faced over the years. Um, I know you faced it as well. Do you care to contribute to the conversation? Sure, I'll pass the hat over to you. Well,
1: I think part of my uh, going through financial uh, struggle is was really God's plan of having to wean me off of financial dependence. So God can do a thing with or without money. That's what I discovered going through this. It's painful to do that if you're used to using money to do what you need to do. Uh, Money is a form of power in the earth realm, and so you can make stuff happen if you throw money at it. But for me, what I felt like the Lord was doing with me It's not so much a 10 days of prayer thing, it was more a, hey, I've got to break you off of the notion of everything that you can do for me has to come through the money um, critical path or spigot or funnel. Um, So from my perspective, that's why, uh, that's what I felt the Lord was doing in training me up how how to deal with that. And being his missionary and his minister, but not having, that support base already established because it was like, look, you've got to walk by faith, not by sight. You thought I, in my case, I was being taken into a journey of being a businessman with a kingdom business for God. And it was like, again, the Lord was saying like, I've got to show you how you can trust me and me alone rather than just in your money. Because as a business guy, you kind of like think in the money mindset which is like, hey, we're here to make profit, and the profit pays for our family and what we need to do, and the profit pays for ministry and what it needs to do. And so for me, it was like the Lord saying, hey, I am God. I am the one who provides for you and ministry and, and all of the church and all of the kingdom. It's not just an empire of men building buildings and churches and ministries. And, 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 and for me, it was discovering, hey, some of those things that look stable and secure financially in ministry world or church world are actually not necessarily as close to God, uh, are not necessarily the heartbeat of God.
0: It could be just a country club of Ben, for example. Sure. Certainly when um, obviously financial resources are good. Sure. But when you have them, it's easier to prop up something that may not be totally God. It's a trust matter, right? It's, you know, uh,
1: things that are beneficial or things that are even uh, permissible can be abused if they're trusted in. That's the de- one of the definitions of idolatry. It's like, hey, it's good to have these things, but if that's the thing that I'm counting on instead of God, it's an idol to me. Right. Right. And so we, in our Western culture and our U.S. church culture, I find that that can be for sure.
0: The money thing can be an idol. But along with um, these challenges, I know that both of us have had probably hundreds or thousands of testimonies of just seeing God's miraculous provision. The
1: the miracle breakthroughs of how God makes a way, um, monetarily or otherwise. And it's I think the hallmark of it has to do with, instead of making it happen in my own strength, business ability, financial acumen it's i'm relying upon god and the holy spirit to provide and make a way instead right that's difficult for the person who's already trained up in the alternative ways um and so it's a blessing in that and then god and then then the way i often put it is it's like uh having two engines instead of one or it's like a hybrid vehicle You've got God moving by the Holy spirit in supernatural ways. And then you also have what God has given you naturally as a gift. And you use that in your strength, sanctified under God. When you get the balance, right, you can do both and not make one or the
0: other an idol. Right. Right. So, um, one practical example, just tying this into 10 days and the challenge, um, how this can be a challenge for people doing 10 days. Um, We had, my family had a pretty intensive season of financial testing from 2008 to 2015, where things were pretty tight. Um, The Lord wasn't allowing me to fundraise. I was in ministry full time, but we were really depending on God for a lot of miraculous provision. And we were seeing a lot. It was pretty cool.
1: Why wasn't God allowing you to fundraise? That's a, that's a part of a key that helps unlock this mystery of the financial stuff
0: sure every time i would ask him about it he would just say i want you to trust me i want you to trust me and it was like oh okay I just want me to trust you now if you mind
1: <laughs> i'm going to color commentate that a little bit and tell you why god may have encouraged you to trust him maybe stuff. you have reasons i Soliciting, just have yeah re- yeah 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 so, so when you solicit people. It's part of like, hey, I'm doing this great thing for God. It's unity. It's prayer. You should love it. It's in the Bible. Uh, Hey, could you like help us out because we as a family need to be supported because this ministry is really good. Like you should partner with us. You should buy in. You should contribute. It's like when we go to the ask, um, it's like if God is doing a new thing and people can't perceive it and naturally they're not necessarily going to move in that direction – even got even though God's doing it it's not really it doesn't make any sense to go ask people hey can you help me partner financially in this thing that you don't understand so it's i think part of it is like hey don't go asking people for fundraising and support because they it's going to be enough to get people participating. If you add the dimension of, they think there's something in it for you financially, you're like Paul in Corinth and you're gonna have a trouble because the people of Corinth are gonna say,
0: Jonathan, you're only here because you just want our money. Right, right. Working in unity stuff, um, you're sort of in, you're inherently in a situation where it's easy to be offended and it's also low cost to be offended, right? Like if two, yes. if two pastors already aren't working together, they take the risk to come together and then they get offended with each other. It's so easy to just go back to doing what they were doing before. Yep. And so when you bring money into that kind of a context and you start asking for money, it's like, it's yeah, I'm bringing out. all you guys together. Like, give me some money. That's an easy out. Um, it's
1: another uh, other scripture that it talks about, Paul talked about the stumbling block, right? Right. It is a easy stumbling block. people when you're talking money.
0: So that was how I felt led. As you know, I know you felt led similarly. And every time I would revisit it with the Lord, he would just kind of encourage me to keep on. And I was seeing a lot of provision, but before we did the first 10 days in Boston, 2011, it was a pretty intensive, uh, season. I'm just going to share a little bit about it. So, um, that spring, uh, I was driving to my work. And I had this really intense ent- encounter with the Lord, uh, where his presence just enveloped me as I was driving in. And he said this phrase to me, you can't miss my provisions. So this was the spring mm. of 2011. we had already been going through a very difficult season of uh, financial provision. He says this, this word to me, you can't miss my provision. And, um, you know, it's accompanied by this huge, like an, like an impartation of the presence of God. Very dynamic experience. I'll never forget it. I get home that night, and I start talking to Cassie, my wife. At the same time I had that experience, guess what happened to her?
1: She had that experience. You got it. <laughs>
0: Isn't that wild? <laughs> it is, but, like, what was her side? No, she just had this... Like the same thing happened. Uh, identical verbiage. I can't remember if it was exactly the identical verbiage, but it was like this. this can't
1: miss my provision. She heard something like
0: that. I can't remember the exact, we'd, if, if she was here, she could tell us exactly. Maybe she should be here. Maybe she should be here, <laughs> but it was accompanied by that same sense of like the peace of God, the presence of God, mm-hmm. like this really intensive experience. So we both had that. Experience. Don't worry. It's actually Jesus said that don't worry. He really did. It's in the Bible. So it's not just this subjective experience. It's actually in the Bible. But what happens is the Holy spirit comes and actually makes us believe this stuff mm. by giving us, you know, the ability and like actually imprinting it on our hearts. So we both had that happen we get home, we compare notes. And my first reaction, I kid you not was, oh no, oh no things are about to get really hard because I was just thinking, why would God give us this intensive experience of to give us faith? If not for the fact that it was going to be really challenging.
1: So you, you just sensed that or you were like two plus two twoing it or I, I
0: was starting to get wise to God's ways. <laughs> <laughs> I'd had enough disappointment in Uh-oh. different situations. And so was just, no, I was, was really just starting to understand his ways. Okay. He gives us, incredible experiences a lot of times to prepare us and give us faith to make it through challenges and difficulties. And so that summer and then into the fall was very challenging. It was the season leading up to the first 10 days in Boston. And just to give you a sense of our financial difficulty, we were day to day with just money to buy basic necessities. We were three months behind on our rent and we had to move at the same time. Sounds fun. Yeah, so. (laughs) Yeah. So we're, um, you know, it was this incredible time of pressure. My landlord, by the way, incredibly gracious man of God, every time I talked to him, I felt so bad about being late. He was like, God is gonna provide. That's the exact words he said to me every time. Good for him. God bless um, that man. um, So really blessed by that. But nonetheless, we were under a lot of pressure having a a young family, not having any income, needing to move. The daily necessities of just food and clothing were tight. We never lacked for any of those things. But, you know, not a lot of discretionary uh, things available, even just daily bread being kind of miraculous.
1: You know, I think that's a thing we've got to change culturally in um, our culture is that when God says that he will provide for you, We'd like to have that as like, yeah, Lord, so like my retirement's laid up and I have all of that money saved and I can see the whole budgetary plan unfolding and, 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 and when so when you say provide, that's what I want or think, what have you. But the fact is, if God says, uh, I'll never leave you in a situation where your children are begging for bread, that could come down to just trusting God on the day. He said, hey, tomorrow's got enough To worry about just you know let's pray today let's trust me today and i'll make a way but that in our culture that can feel like so painful or so wow that does that doesn't sound like a good father to me
0: right it was very well, look, God will put us into difficult situations, and I think that's something we need to expect, not be surprised by. Yes. Um, his kind of parenting is a little bit more intense than our modern Western version. Yes. And his
1: provision is not sort of maybe how this world would look at
0: it. Right, right. Read the Bible. Read the Bible? Read the Bible. Did people have some difficulty? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who God likes has difficulty in the Bible. So in this particular situation, and and um, you know the, the last thirty days leading up to the, the ten days, I was under so much pressure and stress from this. I, you know, basically the co-organizers I mentioned like Kelly Frank, they were carrying a lot of the weight because my I I was just under so much pressure. It was it was hard for me to function. Uh, so it's not a very glorious testimony. Doesn't it
1: seem <laughs> weird though? Like you would think, Hey God, I'm your servant. I am doing everything you've asked me to do. Like, shouldn't I get the red carpet treatment? Shouldn't I have like uh, the greatest uh, clothing and transportation and what have you? And why does God do it this way? You know, cause you could, you're like, I can't even think straight, but God had a purpose in that. Right. What, what do you think that was?
0: I can think of a few different things. Um, It does seem like whenever he wants to do something significant, there's pressure that surrounds it. Mm. Um, Because who's got to change, God or you? Right, right. And even just going through the difficulty is is a trial of our faith. Are we going to persevere? Or are we going to step out of what God said? So if we stay within what God said, there's a way, even if it's a difficult way.
1: That's important to remember because God, one of the scriptures that I uh, like to put into this context is the one of the way of escape. God will always provide a way of escape from being tempted to evil or, you know, something like that.
0: Or disobedience. You know, it's not evil to obviously it wouldn't be evil for me to, oh, I'm not going to do 10 days and go get a job in the sense of like well that would be fine just in the, you know it's like fine to go get a job well it's evil to disobey but God. being disobedient would be right right Jonah Jonah exactly and so what ended up happening is God did a double miracle he did provide we were able to pay all the rent then mm. I'm like well God I still need a miracle to be able to move in somewhere and he did enable us to do that as well before that 10 days happened um and so we were in a new home miraculously, uh, enabled, but, but the pressure of that season was intensive. And it was to the point, even some of the people I was working with were offended with God on my behalf, like yes. God, how could you let Jonathan go through this? This mm. is so difficult, so intense. He's, you know, and, uh, um, obviously it was, it was very challenging for me. So God totally came through, but it was very difficult. Um,
1: there's a glory that emerges um, in the midst of that, where you see, you know, even hope deferred fulfilled, or wow, I can't even stand it. This is so difficult. But then God breaks through with a miracle, and that miracle's intense. Could
0: you have had that kind of experience if it wasn't if it wasn't set up that way? Right. Participating in the sufferings and death of Here Jesus. That's yeah. True. Is one of the, first of all, one of the greatest honors for us. Mm. It's also always something that's present. Anytime we're serving the Lord, people should ask themselves this question. Jesus is the most powerful person in the universe, Mm. the perfect image of the father. He's eternal. He could do anything he wanted. Why would he choose voluntarily to go to the lowest possible point, to, to follow that Philippians 2 road of becoming human, being obedient, suffering the worst kind of death. Why would he do that? It's because there's a glory in humility, like you were saying. There's a glory in that, and then it leads to an even greater glory um, that's released out of those sufferings, out of that death, and it, indeed our own redemption, you know. But also greater honor for Him, you know. It releases this new song in heaven of, you know, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like you look at Him before the cross, and you're like, the sun couldn't get any more glorious, and yet somehow He does through this pathway of suffering, humility, difficulty, pain, um, and endurance. And um, because we are little Christ Christians. We get to go through the same thing and, um, but it's challenging, (laughs) right? And the
1: fellowship of his sufferings is nothing to avoid. Um, but to understand as you go through it, the purpose or just the love of God there with you through that difficulty is then producing a greater fruit in you like a pruning oftentimes, And there's no other way around it. Like there's no other way of like humbling ourselves before God in order to experience what God would have for us, uh, on, on, as part of that. That's right. And I think we, we don't value that in our U S culture and anymore I'd say, um, or in the Western culture where things, you know, we're advanced, we're thinkers, we're educated, we're, we have money. We speak can, for yourself. We could do, do things, uh, <laughs> you know. But if we're not careful, we're right back to building towers for ourselves, trying to be like God.
0: Right, right. One directive the Lord gave me, um, which was really key for making it through some of these challenging seasons, is he gave me this word, meditate on my love for you. So not mm-hmm. meditate on my love in general, but meditate on my love for you. And so I would spend a lot of time in prayer, meditating on the love of God for me. It's like, God really loves me. Mm -hmm. So, um, people think, well, that sounds selfish. It's like, no, it's not. Um, Jesus talks about in John, uh, 13 through 17 about the way the father loves him and how that enables him to, um, be who he is Mm -hmm. and know who he is. And then how he loves us in the same way the father loved him. And so when we start to receive that, we start to be able to act more like Jesus, but also be able to endure more. Because instead of saying, oh God, why are you doing this to me? Like we're actually in a place of faith. We know we're loved. We also know we're going through something really difficult and painful, but it gives us endurance and perseverance to to make it through. And sometimes like just, knowing I'm loved by God. That's like all that is holding you, um, while you're being buffeted by all these incredibly difficult challenges. But
1: having gone through it, we're so much, we have so much more capacity from a faith standpoint to endure the next desert experience, like a camel, we could be prepared to do what must be done. Uh, without necessarily having the natural sustenance or encouragement that you might want all the time. Right. It's better if you can actually run off the engines of God and faith. know <laughs>